0: Please take your Bibles and turn to Genesis chapter 40. We will be looking at verses 1 through 23. Genesis 40, 1 through 23. Sometime after this, the cupbearer of the king of Egypt and his baker committed an offense against their lord, the king of Egypt. And Pharaoh was angry with his two officers, the chief cupbearer, and the chief baker. And he put them in custody in the house of the captain of the guard in the prison where Joseph was confined. The captain of the guard appointed Joseph to be with them, and he attended them. They continued for some time in custody. And one night they both dreamed, the cupbearer and the baker of the king of Egypt, who were confined in the prison, each his own dream, and each dream with its own interpretation. When Joseph came to them in the morning, he saw that they were troubled. So he asked Pharaoh's officers, who were with him in custody in his master's house, Why are your faces downcast today? They said to him, We have had dreams, and there is no one to interpret them. And Joseph said to them, Do not interpretations belong to God? Please tell them to me. <clears throat> so the chief cup baker told that they should put me into the pit. When the chief baker saw that the interpretation was favorable, he said to Joseph, I also had a dream. There were three cake baskets on my head, and in the uppermost basket there are all sorts of baked food from Pharaoh, but the birds were eating it out of the basket on my head. And Joseph answered and said, this is its interpretation. The three baskets are three days. In three days, Pharaoh will lift up your head from you, and hang you on a tree, and the birds will eat the flesh from you. On the third day, which was Pharaoh's birthday, he made a feast for all his servants, and he lifted up the head of the chief cupbearer and the head of the chief baker among his servants. He restored the chief cupbearer to his position, and he placed the cup in Pharaoh's hand. But he hanged the chief baker, as Joseph had interpreted to them yet the chief cupbearer did not remember joseph but forgot him the grass withers and the flowers fade but the word of our god endures forever let us pray heavenly father we pray that we would see from joseph's example that we have a home though we are away from home and homesick that we have a home permanent in the heavens they Jesus has gone before to prepare for us. But help us to remember, too, that our ties here on earth are not unimportant. And we pray that we would learn from Joseph, and most importantly, through Jesus and his work for us, that this homesickness that we have here on earth is only a pointer to our permanent home with you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now I have before you the passage from Ecclesiastes, chapter 3, verses 1 through 8, and when I read it, if you were around in the 1960s, around the year I was born, 1965, you might remember a song that had these words in them, sort of the jangle folk rock of the birds and their song, Turn, 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 but let me go ahead and read it to you. A time to seek and a time to lose, a time to keep and a time to cast away, a time to tear and a time to sow, a time to keep silence and a time to speak, a time to love and a time to hate, a time for war and a time for peace. Now the genius of this passage is its universality. From the start, it's covering every matter under heaven that has a time, even birth and death. And then there's all manner uh, manner of human activity covered, and not a comprehensive list of every human activity, but enough in broadness of variety that every human being everywhere can relate to this. That at some point in life, you do have to plant and then later pluck up, killing and healing, break down and build up. Weep and laugh. Something's wrong. we got to weep. And we don't laugh at funerals unless somebody's telling a story about the person. But it's not appropriate in principle to laugh at a funeral. A time to mourn and a time to dance. Cast away stones and gather stones together. I know I'm building, helping to build, or at least put out platforms that Tim has built for our hunting, um, our deer blinds, that we have to sometimes remove stones or pieces of wood and then gather some together to stick under the platform to make it level. And that's what this is talking about. Everybody can relate to something in this list. It's time for love and hate, to love what God loves and to hate what God hates. Uh, A time for war. And time for peace, something that's worth fighting for and worth dying for. But then at other times, you wonder, who's ordering this war and why are they ordering it? It might be a time for peace. You see, this passage is a lesson in what we call discernment. It's something that all Christians must engage in. Discern what is right and what is wrong. Discern when to do certain things and when to hold back. When to speak and when to keep silence. It's about discernment. Asking questions, listening to others, evaluating your options, seeking God through his word and prayer. We're not called to passively float through life. We're called to be actively engaged in asking questions of our choices. If you want to observe someone who exercises great discernment, it's difficult to do much better than Joseph. I'm not saying he's the only one, but it's difficult to do much better than Joseph. Why? Because the key to developing discernment isn't in knowing who you are per se, but knowing whose you are. And the main idea of this passage is that God's covenant with his people means that they belong to him. Now why do you belong belong to him as God's covenant people? As God's covenant people, you belong at home with him, you belong at home with your family, and you belong at home away from home. So let's first ask, As God's covenant people, or where do you belong as God's covenant people? You belong at home with him, verses 1 through 8. And the takeaway from this is being comfortable in your own skin no matter where you are. And where do we find Joseph? In the king's prison, don't we? And later we'll find that being comfortable in his own skin, we'll find that interpretations belong to God. That's another good lesson in discernment, by the way. Don't just go on what you know. Check what you know against the word of God. So, it says there, sometime after this in verse 1. Now, sometime after this. Sometime after he got thrown into prison by Potiphar because his wife lied. Right? Remember verse 39, verse... Verses, I mean, chapter 39, verses 20 through 21. And Joseph's master took him and put him into the prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined, and he was there in prison. There's a lot of repetition here of being confined in the custody of, uh, there in prison. It's trying to give you the sense of what Joseph is going through. It's very dark for Joseph. And if anyone had an excuse to kind of blow off God in this time, although no one ever has that excuse, but if anyone did, it would be Joseph. So much of Joseph's story here in the beginning is just time. Time. And more time. And what are you to do with time? Devotion. That's what you're to do with time. Devotion. Psalm 31.5 says, My times are in your hand. Rescue me from the hand of my enemies and my persecutors. Develop your devotion to God. You want something to occupy your time? If you're ever imprisoned for your faith, my times are in your hand. Rescue me from the hand of my enemies and my persecutors. But not just devotion, but discipline. Joseph had to be extremely disciplined in all of his time in there. 1 Timothy 4, 7 through 8, have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths. Rather, train yourself. Train yourself for godliness. For while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. So Joseph is there in the king's prison in time and he develops a trustworthiness like he did in Potiphar's house. First, look at the company he kept. These were high-profile prisoners, as he was thrown, as we saw in verse uh, chapter 39. It was the cupbearer of the king and the chief baker of the king. And Joseph's so trustworthy, he's looking after them. Look at Philippians 2, 14 through 16. Do all things without grumbling or disputing that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life. Eric Liddell was, uh, if you ever saw the movie Chariots of Fire, that was sort of his biopic, as they say today. All right. But Eric Liddell did more than just run in the Olympics and not run on Sunday in the Olympics because he was a Presbyterian. And as a good Presbyterian, he avoided recreation on Sundays. All right? And that way, he's a great example. And he did so not out of legalism, but out of devotion and discipline. But that's not all that happened to him. He was a missionary in China as his father and mother were. And believe it or not, when uh, the Japanese invaded China during that time, he was right there in, in the midst of it. And he got swept up and put in prison in Japan. Um, and he was put in the uh, the scene internment camp. Now let me read to you a little bit of his story. Liddell's imprisonment was a particularly appropriate because Wasing Internment Camp had been a missionary base. Its formerly peaceful walls now guarded by barbed wires and sentries. Conditions in Wasing were harsh. Harsh. Food supplies were limited. The people already people were already there when Little arrived, and they were emaciated. Strict rules and twice-a-day roll calls kept the prisoners in order. Within the camp, the detainees' time was largely their own. They organized themselves, creating a school, entertainment, religious meetings, and even something like a hospital. Freedom had been taken, but life went on. Now, see if this sounds familiar. Little was made a warden for two accommodation blocks. That sounds like Joseph, doesn't he? Responsible for taking their roll calls, his leadership went beyond his official position. He was constantly looking out for his fellow prisoners, providing care and support. He arranged sports events, taught science using a homemade textbook, carried supplies to the old and the sick, and ran a Sunday school for the children. What? Really? In this way, he continued his missionary work Uh, In the harshest of conditions, guided by his religious principles, he preached the word of God and provided counseling to those who were in his care. Devotion, discipline, and what does that lead to? The captain's trust. Verse 4. The captain of the guard appointed Joseph to be with them. And he handed, and he attended them, and they continued for some time in in custody. And so we get to this point where the setup is for Joseph to say that interpretations belong to God. He's in the king's prison, and this is all about interpretations belong to God. And so we have God set up in verse 5. And one night these people had dreams, the cupbearer and the... um, Uh, the chief baker, and Joseph notes. You see how sensitive he is. He sees them being troubled, and he asks them, and he listens, okay? And so here is Joseph in this dark prison, and I want you to look at the Heidelberg Catechism. It's from the Dutch Reformed Church, which is our, our, our Dutch counterparts. They're pretty much Presbyterians in Dutch clothing, basically. And this is the first question of their catechism. What is your only comfort in life and death? That I am not my own, but belong with body and soul, both in life and in death, to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. He has fully paid for all my sins with his precious blood and has set me free from all the power of the devil. He also preserves me in such a way that without the will of my Heavenly Father, not a hair can fall from my head. Indeed, all things must work together for my salvation." Therefore, by his Holy Spirit, he also assures me of eternal um, of eternal life. I'm sorry, I left, and makes me heartily willing and ready from now on to live for him. That's what's behind Joseph. That's what was behind Eric Little. That's what should be behind us. God's setup is that. Our only comfort is in him and therefore we are willing to go through discomfort in this life if we have to. And there is God's punchline, verses 6 and 8. He has a setup and then he has a punchline. Joseph saw that they were troubled and he acted in verse 7. He moves toward them. It says, so he asked Pharaoh's officers who were with him in custody in his master's house. He asked them, he moves toward them And he notes accurately and specifically just what he sees. Why are your faces downcast today? How sensitive would you be in prison to actually notice the faces of others? He's sensitive to God in verse 8. They respond honestly. They say we have had dreams and there's no one to interpret them. And he responds confidently. Joseph said to them, do not interpretations belong to God. And so the application here is being comfortable in your own skin no matter where you are. It's part of us engaging with Christ in the work he is doing in us and through us. It is the life of faith and is coming through for us even in this dark prison because he has given himself for our redemption. Buying us back. From our slavery to sin. Our slavery. To the opinions of others. Our slavery. To the opinions of the evil one. That we want to. We just keep searching for our comfort. And if, if, if there's a challenge to human sexuality. Like in the 60's. And the free love movement. And the cohabitation. In the 70's that resulted from it. And the fatherlessness that has resulted from that. And then later the homosexuals come in and they start saying, we need rights too to be able to live the way we want to live. And then all of a sudden we got transgenders and we get to be able to live the way we want to live and say that I'm a woman when really I'm a man because only because of what's going on in my head and what I say because I'm God and you better use my pronouns. We are going insane in this culture because we don't have the clarity and the love that comes from the word of God, the devotion, the discipline. And we, wanna, we want to uh, go along to get along because if you just, just let me have my house and my comfort, just let me have, I, I won't say anything, don't worry. What, what, what are your pronouns again? I'm sorry, I'm sorry. And all of a sudden, we're the immoral ones. And they're the righteous. Well, I got news for you. We are all unrighteous. And we better say it. I'm going to end on this point. We'll pick up the other two points next week. Look at what we have in Christ. God has come from eternal transcendence. If he were just up there, we would never have a word from him. There would be no church here this Sunday, and we would have all been living in Sodom and Gomorrah. Trust me, that's where we would be. All of us. And that's because we would have been given over to the depravity of our own minds. Notice how God does that in Romans 1? We're going to look at Romans 1 when we get through with Genesis. In Romans 1, it ends with the people becoming futile and they're thinking, you know what that means? It means they become useless. Their thoughts are useless because they're not getting the eternal word of God to inflame and, and, and help them to see what this world really is and how it's made and how it's made for Glory and dignity and honor. So look at Titus 2:14, talking about Christ who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness, all the law of God. He redeems us from that and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are what zealous for good works. See There is some righteous indignation for what's going on today. But ultimately, we do not fight the way the world fights. You know how we fight? Our fighting is very soft. It's really soft. They call us mean and if they want to say narrow-minded, I say yes. Compared to the world, I happily say I'm narrow-minded. I wish I was more narrow-minded, to be honest with you. (laughs) more focused on Christ, more devoted to Christ, more disciplined for Christ. There is a time to speak. There is a time to stand and to lovingly and without vitriol engage in conversation. Now, if you want to see a good example of this, I don't know if this guy's a Christian, to be honest with you, but he's a good example of how to engage on some really charged issues. It's a guy called Billboard Chris. I don't remember his name. If you got, if you're, I know most people don't know what Twitter is even, but on Twitter he goes by Billboard Chris and he wears a simple billboard that says that children are not to be abused and to basically dealing with the transgender issue with children, and he just goes on a college campus and he wears it and he waits around and engages people in conversation. And they are saying all kinds of things, vitriolic, using language that is absolutely vulgar with him, just for wearing that sign, and the whole time he goes, well, I I just wanna have a conversation, and he has all these stats about, um, and I know, listen, Transgenders, by the way, which is sad, are per capita the highest uh, rate of suicide, have the highest rate of suicide. Now they will say it's because we have imposed our Western Christian values on them, and that and they can't be who they are, and that's why they commit suicide. But that was this is long before. And by the way, the suicides happen after the, the operations and after the transition into going from male to female or female to male. That's when the suicides happen. The way you deal with the demonic is with truth. And this guy never once raises his voice. He just talks to them and they get madder and madder. And you know when they get really mad, and I've seen this with other people, when he starts talking about truth, of all things, <laughs> truth is like shuts down the conversation. That's sorry. That's really bad. That's hard. All right. Well, let me let me bring us into a landing for here. I want us to see what we have in Christ. And out of that, certainly be able the the, the why the reason why I raise my voice is not because of the people. It's because of the de- demons. And I don't mean, don't think I'm not, I'm not going into some kind of, there's a demon under everything and we got to go around and cast that demon out. I told you how you cast the demon out. Jesus told us who de- the devil is. The devil is a liar and a murderer. So what do we do to counteract that? We tell the truth and we are life-giving. That's how we do it. So I'm not yelling at the transgender people or the homosexuals. The yelling is about waking myself and hopefully everybody else up to the level of warfare that we are engaged in right now. I think we've been frogged in, in the kettle for a long time. And just let this roll and roll and roll. I'm not going to try to tell you how to do it. I just want you to be aware of it, and I want you to understand that God is the ruler yet. And if God can do what he did in and through Joseph, as Joseph committed himself to God, and Christ is committed to, and I always love the term, to train yourself in righteousness. You know what that means? means you ain't there yet, and I ain't there yet. That's one of the most encouraging things, trust me. It is, because God's righteousness is a tall order, okay? And he's already already given us Christ's righteousness as far as acceptance is concerned. Now he wants us to live into that righteousness experientially. He actually wants us to have the character of Christ in all of this. Because trust me, I am not the paragon of that. Christ is the paragon. So all I have to here to give you is what the word says, and apply it best to the situation we find ourselves in today. And it takes a lot of wisdom and a lot of discernment, and it takes the whole bodily body, quite frankly, not just um, your pastors and your elders. So let us be thinking on that and praying through that. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for not leaving us blind and in the dark to bump around and all these things. You've given us clarity in your word, and Joseph knew that clarity. And that's why he could calmly attend to others even with compassion and compassionately bring them the truth. Father, it's a hard thing to be living in a world we... We weren't, call, we, we weren't expecting to be called to live in such a time as this. And yet, here we are, and wherever we are, we are at home with you. So help us to remember that our true home is with you, even though we long for a more permanent home here on earth. And in fact, you're promising us that in the new heavens and a new earth. So help us to have hope. Help us to understand people who still long for home here now. And help us to be as much as we can a home to them. Help us to be like Jesus more and more and die to our sin more and more. In Jesus' name, amen.